Welcome, everyone, and thank you for tuning in today. My name is Rusty Pepper, and I'm the host of the Wine Marketing Podcast. Today's guest is Lisa Roberts, who is the former head of marketing at Civitas Learning. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, Rusty. Thanks for having me. I'm glad you're able to join me. If you don't mind, obviously, we are wine marketing. So would you mind sharing with us why you decided to get into marketing? Was marketing something you'd always wanted to do? You know, advertising was something that I always wanted to do. So even in school, you know, I joined PRSSA, the Public Relations Student Society of America, you know, trying to be a good little marketer in training. You know, I don't know if it was sort of the the madman, madman kind of visual of what advertising was going to be like, but I knew I liked the collaboration, everyone crashing on a topic and everyone crashing to come up with an idea and a plan. And I liked the idea of creating. And marketing is, is you are 100%. I tell my team, you are creators to the point where I take us to offsites and we actually do creation activities to let another part of our brain create. So I think I loved that. And, you know, that's why I ended up moving to New York City straight out of school, never having lived there. But I wanted to work on Madison Avenue and that's what I studied in school. So my dad wasn't a a fan of the idea. He said he'd give me one month of money and said, if you want to go work in New York on Madison Avenue, go do it. But you, you have 30 days, girl, go for it. So I guess I could say he could believe he believed in me. So I did it. I moved up there. I had a a buddy that said I could sleep on her futon. People actually used futons back then in our probably 700 square foot efficiency above a fire station in Midtown Manhattan. And by the end of the month, I had two offers, one from DDB and one from Gray, advertising both on Madison Avenue. Got the dream job that actually ended up not being as dreamy as I thought it would. You mean they didn't like set you up in a corner office? No. If we were if we were doing a podcast on what is the worst experience you ever had, this would be the story. We could highlight this one. Yeah. Gotcha. So you went to work out of college for an agency in New York. Now, how long were you there for? Seven months and one day. Okay. I get notice at six months and one day. I like that. One day. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you have to be there when you're that part of your career. The role, at least then, was be somewhere for six months before you move on to the next thing. Then on your resume. So I made it six months and then jumped to an internet startup. It was one of the first online media buying, online search companies in the world. It's called iTraffic. And a woman I worked with at DDB had moved down there and said, I think this is the place you're looking for. No one knows how to do this. I'll, uh, I'll take you through the questions they're going to ask and I'll teach you the answers because no one in the world has them. So I interviewed with them and got the job and that's, that's what I've been looking for. And this was in the late 90s, right? Yeah. The latter part of 98. Yeah. So that was just when the startups that were blowing in at that time. So what a perfect time to go join iTraffic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was it was at the environment that I didn't know that I was looking for. You got there and was that your aha moment of, okay, this is what I want for a career? Yeah, it really was. And I was so lucky. I look back, you know, siblings and friends and you know, even coworkers, I kind of watch them sort of look to find that thing that they're really passionate about. And, you know, they, everybody finds it. I feel like if you keep searching, 
but some, it takes a long time. And I was, I feel very fortunate that once I got into that environment, I was like, Oh man, this is it. You know I mean? People are going to let me get on the phone with clients. I mean, it would have been 15 years at DDB before I was in a strategy meeting or able to get on the phone and actually talk with the client about their customers, you know, actually get into that creator part of it. So, I mean, this was people who would allow you to get on the phone with clients, you know, allow you to come forward with kind of crazy ideas. Technology was popping up everywhere and partnerships were popping up everywhere. So we were allowed to kind of ideate on partnerships and new technology that we could build and new ad types that we could offer. So a lot of autonomy, a lot of allowing yourself to really test yourself and scare yourself a little bit. High level, highly experienced people working with us, the lowest level account executives every single day. So just learning from people that sure they hadn't been in that career for forever. No one had. But they brought just, you know, amazing capabilities and thinking to really trying to create what is now the online media part of marketing. So as a 20-something from Texas who's in New York, you must have just been like a sponge absorbing as much as you possibly could. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, that's why I love that kind of business and I love that kind of stage because you're allowed to get into any meeting you want, you can generally at least be a fly on the wall in any conversation you want to be in. And I mean, it's really kind of up to, it was up to me to get as much out of that as I could because the door was open. And that's, that's honestly the environment that I've stayed in for the most part is working for companies that, you know, allow me to get in there and scare myself a little bit. But they're going to help make sure we learn as quickly as we can. So if we, if we fail, we fail intelligently. And it's more about the learning than the failure. So the lessons learned from, from the mistakes yes. and improving from it. Yeah. You know, I was listening to someone the other day. They said, you know, when someone says, I want to work someplace that allows me to fail, I feel like that's become a little bit of a line these, day, these days. No, we don't want to work places where people just allow us to fail. But we do want to work places that they allow us to learn quickly. Well, that's <laughs> a all but a little bit of the aha as well was going from this traditional media company with DDB to this online media company and seeing all of a sudden this medium that was so different than what we had learned about in school. Being this medium where I set a strategy today, I create my ads tomorrow. They're in place and being run and seen by eyeballs the next day. And the next day I have data on, was it effective? Was my visual effective? Was my message effective? And I'm back on the phone with the client the day after that saying, here's how I recommend we tweak this. Just that pace of creation, that pace of learning, that pace of optimization was something that just really resonated with me. It's probably like the OCD in me. Yeah. Or the perfectionists. Well, you just know how finite the results are. And that was 98, 99, 2000. Well, who were the type of companies you were working for at that point? Well, I can tell you who our clients were. I traffic our clients were CD Now. Do you remember CD Now? Yeah, I do. Absolutely. 
Yeah. I mean, that was like the first company where you could buy music online, right? So our clients were CD now, Peapod. Do you remember? For all the millennials who are wondering, what's a CD? There's... <laughs> it's like a small record. Yeah. So it was like a groundbreaking company working with all these other groundbreaking companies. So Peapod, which was the first online order grocery ordering grocery delivery. I mean, honestly, you could just say they were way ahead of their time. Too, too, too much so. Yeah. Just... There weren't enough people online shopping at yeah. that time. And there's certainly like at that time, it was so weird. It was like trust and do I even want to navigate a website? Yeah. Like, ooh. But you were still like, dialing up. Everybody was still dialing in. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was crazy. But yeah, Peapod, CD Now, FreeCreditReport.com, yep. which I think they'll spend. They're probably one of the top spenders online with online media. Disney was one of the first. So yeah, it was pretty crazy. Yeah. So you had, you had bigger uh, well, or a lot of well-funded startups at the time that were coming for that, for those type of metrics. You know, more than anything, it was innovators seeking other innovators. I mean, we would have people come through that office that just knew they had a safe place to come and talk about some of the crazy stuff they were doing. A company called, do you remember ICQ? No. ICQ was basically the first chat technology. Okay. They came in just to come demo their chat technology to us because we were one of the first doing what we did and they were one of the first doing what they did. So we just knew we had kind of like-minded people to bounce these things off of. Wow. That had to be amazing. So innovators working with innovators or seeking innovators. So from there, you were there, you're in New York. What was the next step then? There it was to Garden.com, who was one of the first pure play online retailers, one of the first companies doing drop shipping live product. So went there. And the interesting thing about that one, I, I will say about that one, you know, went to another company, everybody innovating, allowing you to scare yourself a little bit, allowing you to do things you've never done, trusting you to do it, but giving you a safety net. That's where I went in more as someone on the marketing and media side. But then we had a big project that needed more product management support. And that's where they said, you know the requirements. Here's a book on how to write them. You're a product manager now. Okay. So you went from having all the basically analytical standpoint of all the metrics and data to becoming a product manager. So writing requirements, writing use cases you know, mocking up websites, doing what now is a lot of, you'd hire specifically someone that's a UX specialist to do, but we were doing most of that. So kind of now learning that on steroids and trying to figure it out on my own. So that was an interesting one. That's why I've ended up with a path that's kind of dual product management, kind of bouncing back and forth between product management and marketing. And I've done that a lot of my career. I mean, it's, it's, I've been at three agencies for the most part, uh, media and then doing product management work. I've been in a product manager role about four times. I've been in a marketing role three times. One was as a director and the other two were as heads of marketing. I was running my own business, which came with its own set of learning. I can only imagine. Uh, Then you're truly wearing every single hat. Yeah, exactly. You know, most of those businesses, I was either marketing person, number one, or product manager, number one. And in most of those, you're wearing 
I mean, you, you are part of the one growing the business. I mean, the, the safety about being in at that stage is it's not your money. And if you're not the CEO, you're not the one ultimately, you know, that their, their neck is on the line with the board. But you have this massive opportunity to really be a part of crafting and growing a business. And you know, there's, there's pros and cons that come with that. You get a lot of learning. You get a lot of doing things that you wouldn't have been able to do at other companies. But at the same time, you don't have people who've been there before in front of you showing you, helping you navigate traps and holes and failures and you know, giving you sort of fundamentals to build from. So that's a little bit the pro and the con of that kind of path. Yeah. So being a product manager, how does that kind of, you know, and to becoming a head of marketing, how does, how do they complement each other skill-wise with a learning curve and, and bring the, the, the learned knowledge from that into the role to, to run marketing? You know, I never, it certainly wasn't intentional to craft things that way. But I apply... When I was in each of those roles, I applied practices and methods from the other all the time. Both of them... Yeah, product managers, you generally are a product manager that's more sort of infatuated with the technology and you go more... You're a more technical-oriented product manager. So you likely sit within IT or under the CTO and you probably spend more time with the engineers. Or you're generally a product manager that is more customer focused. That might be product manage the product management team sits in marketing, which that's where the product management teams I was on actually sat underneath marketing. So it was intense customer focused, intense usability focused, user experience focused. And you know, you had to know the technology, but you probably spent slightly less time with the engineers, except when you were in that building process, right? So I was more the customer-focused kind of product manager. And as a product manager, you... This sounds kind of gross. But I always said you have to get like in the skin of yeah. your user. Whenever you're looking at that website, you're looking at that app, you're looking at that tool, you really have to embody them and really think about who is this? Who am I? Now I'm looking at this thing and I'm trying to use it. Is it working for me? That same kind I think, of it's, I think it's a great analogy because I mean, really, that's what you're as a, you're trying to get in the shoes, the eyes, the feel that the consumer is going to feel and what they're going to see and they're going to experience. Because if it's a bad experience, they're not going to keep coming back. Yeah. So how are you able to do that? You know, I mean, I guess that's the other thing with product management is you don't ever write requirements without doing interviews. Yeah. So you're doing stakeholder interviews, and you know, anywhere from one to 20. You're never writing your own requirements whenever you're a good product manager. You are talking with the people who are going to use this thing, whether within your company or you're building customer groups that you're talking with. And so you're asking them that the art of product management is asking very intelligent questions and listening very intently and knowing how to pick the next question you're going to ask to get to the requirement. And that means it's their requirement. It's not yours. I think on the marketing side, I think you can get in your own bubble. And you can get in your own sound chamber where you start writing because this is what you think 
you think this is what we should be saying to the market rather than what does my prospect, what does my customer want to hear? What do they care about? Like, especially at smaller companies, whenever you're running so quickly, you can strangely lose that. And so product management, you don't have any choice. Not your requirements, it's their requirements. So it sounds like that was really helpful and kind of crafting to where you've got gone today is having that experience, having to deal with that. Yeah. And you know, product management and product organizations in general have very agile ways of working and very smart ways of going about setting priorities. So true methodologies for setting priorities. And I think that's why you see now so many marketing teams, my Civitas team is is a recent one, that's moved to actually using a Scrum approach and actually using tools like Jira and things like that that were traditionally product and engineering tools and methods. You see marketing organizations trying to run, not just say they're agile, but actually use tools and methods and approaches that have been used in product organizations historically. And were created by by product and engineering organizations. Okay. So it almost forces that behavior then. Yeah. It definitely gives you a framework and set of tools to use that method on a regular basis. Okay. It's hard. It's hard for a lot of marketing teams to start using that. I think any change is always difficult, but we'll stay on that topic. So obviously looking through your career, you've came up through the era of the internet and you know there's so much distraction now with all the different platforms the technologies that are being thrown at, you know, heads of marketing saying, hey, you need this, you need this, you need to use this. This is the next great thing. How do you sift through that to find the right tools? That's a hard question. I mean, I think it's different for, for every company. You know, there's tools that are expensive that are really awesome. We, I had the luxury of having Domo at Civitas. And that was amazing for visibility into my OKRs. I could go in every single day and have a visual representation of how my entire team is doing against every one of our OKRs. And then a breakdown of all of our sub KPIs underneath that. I mean, that's amazing visibility. So you have very expensive tools like Adomo. I will say we just started using a tool called Airtable, which we actually are using it to organize most of our not just so if we're using it to support the agile process that we're using so it has basically like a kanban view which is product management but it has a kanban view of all of your priorities so you can move them around from you know high to low to backlog in your standups every single day it has an ability to catalog all of your content so you can search for it really quickly you have ways that you can catalog say all of your event collateral and assets that you have. And it's basically this one tool that is just built off of basically Google Sheets that will give you all of these amazing front ends. And it's not expensive at all. My favorite one that's not a marketing tool that I've loved just for our company has been Donut. It's the little... (laughs) It's a plugin in Slack. Anybody who signs up for that Slack channel... It pairs people together to go have a donut and go get to know each other. <laughs> really? Yeah. How often do you get donuts? 
I mean, it, it basically, once you go do it, you, you go have it, it checks in with you to get a yes, no on have you basically had gone off and had your get to know you session with this person that, you know, maybe someone you've never even met before in your company and you say yes. And it assigns you to a new person to go have a donut with. Okay. So it actually self-selects for you. Yeah. Yeah. Randomly matching people together. After that one, the, the people that I ended up going and having donuts with were some people that, you know, one of them, I kind of, I knew his name. We'd known each other in passing, but we didn't, we'd never taken 30 minutes to go sit down and really like get to know each other. I think it's a great thing for a company. Oh, Let's- absolutely. Every time you meet somebody new, you never know what the opportunity is that sits there in front of you. I mean, yeah. what you can learn from them or perspective and experiences that they can share. So it's, I have to definitely make sure I look at that plug in. Yeah. So heads of marketing. Yeah. Everybody has a different reason for being a marketer. What is it that you love about marketing? When you're in the marketing organization, if you're in the right marketing organization, you have the chance to impact every single part of the business. I agree with that. So you're helping you know, your engineers and your product teams understand the brand and really feel the mission of the company beyond just the written mission of the company, right? I mean, for us at Civitas, whenever we redid the elevator pitch, I did a training with every single team within the company Wow! to help them know that elevator pitch. And for some of them, you know, those that weren't as customer facing, we came up with a version of it that was more sort of man on the street. You know, the, the version you tell your mom. Okay. Anybody could use that anytime with someone who wasn't from our industry, but we trained every single person in the company to know that elevator pitch. And we went through why are the words in that elevator pitch? We wanted everybody, my data science team, my engineering team, my product team, and of course, the sales team and any of our client success team to understand why did we choose those words? That meant we maybe did a deep dive on this one word is intended to lay FUD. And we're laying FUD against competitor X. And here's why we're laying this FUD. So it wasn't just teaching them the elevator pitch. It was breaking it down and helping them understand the meaning behind those words that are sort of the basis of our branding right now and the basis of our our story. You know, whether it's through branding that you're you're touching every group within the company, you know, product marketing, you're just so ingrained with the product team and the ops team on what is this product going to do and how much money are we going to make off of it and how are we going to take it to market? You know, for a company like a Civitas or some of the other enterprise B2B companies I've worked with, you're super ingrained with your client services team. Because if you're doing things right, if you're a SaaS business that you know has an annual contract, so you're dealing with ARR, the potential for ARR coming out of that customer base, if you're on the right marketing team, you're thinking about how you're digging in with your account service people, your account service leads. How are we making sure that we're thinking about lifetime value of this customer, right? Yeah. So for me, just marketing and especially you know, in the types of businesses I met, and especially if you're the head of marketing, you're learning about every part of the company, which I mean, this is innately within me. I see myself more as an entrepreneur than I do just a marketer. I see myself 
because I care about everything in the business. I want what I'm doing to tie to what's going to make the business most successful and what part of the organization do I need to be working with on this part of what I'm doing that's going to lead to the greatest success for the business. So you really have to think like a businesswoman, not a marketer. But marketing just allows me to learn about all these different components of the business, which I mean, these things are living, growing beasts and are fascinating. Oh, yeah. And they have the ability to impact so much. I mean, I do think that the boards and shareholders are starting to see a tremendous amount of value in what marketers like yourself bring to the table. The marketers are just going to start dominating more and more of these organizations. Well, I mean, if you can get close enough to the analytics and, and, you know, even in my career, I feel like I have so much room to grow on this, but if you can get close enough to the analytics, you can be, be bringing data to the table that is going to fundamentally change the way decisions are made about company priorities, not just marketing priorities. It's not an easy task because the data still lives in so many different places I think that's why you see value of ops teams just growing and growing and growing. And if you you know look at surveys, CMO surveys on where they're putting your budget, you're seeing that ops budget grow bigger and bigger and bigger. Because I think marketing is becoming more a hub of intelligence about what's going on with customers, what's going on with the market that you can bring back to every part of the business, including bringing it to the board. Yeah. And also internal. I mean, marketing internally is just as important sometimes as marketing externally. That's a lesson learned later in my career. That's one that I wish I would have had a manager early on. Not that I had any bad managers. <laughs> I only I only had one. Okay, so you're listening. <laughs> yeah. No. My, my one marketing manager, I've only in one job had a marketing person that was above me. And that was Sam Decker at Bizarre Voice, who was the one who said, you're a product manager. I think I want you in marketing. Which I just told him he was crazy. And he said, let me tell you why this is going to be great for your career. It's like, okay. So he was amazing. And I, and I started learning it, I think, at Bizarre Voice. But it really wasn't until later in my career, I learned how important it was for marketing to think about internal marketing and internal PR. And the role that marketing needed to play, even just getting shoulder to shoulder with our CEO and thinking about a good thing, a bad thing, a standard update that we needed to give to the business. And if these are our customers, how are we going to do this? What's the right format? What's the right message? Who should be the one delivering it? What do we do before at that meeting? And what do we do after? So, oh my gosh, like internal communications, just, and I mean, and that was a little bit of the learning, even whenever I referenced the example of rolling out the elevator pitch, you know, there were plenty of times where I rolled out an elevator pitch, a sales pitch, I rolled it out on my own. So the marketing person walking into the room with a bunch of salespeople and telling them, this is the right message for here's how you should say it. Try a scenario where you're walking in shoulder to shoulder with three salespeople who helped develop that message and have already learned it. And they're training their peers on how to deliver it. 
and they've had the chance to ask the hard questions and we've had to come up with answers or change something. If the question meant, Hey, we, we found a gap here and they, their peers start asking questions in that meeting. And it's a salesperson that's saying, I had that question too. I had that concern too. Here's how you can deal with that. That's just very different than the marketing person up there saying, well, here's how you should deal with it. You know, someone who hasn't walked a day in their shoes. Yeah. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with you on internal comms and internal marketing. You build messaging to get the market interested and excited in what you're doing. And you have to think about making sure your company, especially as these companies grow so quickly and you're bringing new people in. I mean, thinking about onboarding new people, the, the impact that marketing can have on making sure that the story is told, the company's story is told well to those new people coming into the company is huge. Absolutely. They become evangelists. I mean, if you can't engage and excite your own company, on what you're doing, how are you going to engage and excite anybody externally? Yeah. I mean, they should be your number one fans. Your yeah. employees should be. And get them while they're walking in the door and, you know, ready to just pour the Kool-Aid. I, mean, there's, I don't care what company you're at. I, I don't know. There's maybe been one or two I've been at that I wanted more Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> I need more Kool-Aid, please. But I mean, people, you know, that's when people are thirsty when they're walking in the door. Absolutely. That's when they crave it. They want it. They're excited. They, they haven't been run or jaded by some of the internal politics that can easily take place. But, but I do think marketing is such a, a powerful medium. And I think for anybody that you know, would think less is, is a fool because we live in a world today where everybody's influenced and engaged by their peers, their friends, and others. They're not, you don't need necessarily a salesperson to walk in the door anymore and explain to you why you need a certain product. You go online. And you validate it, you look at it, you do the comparisons. That's where most people are making their buying decisions. Yep. Yeah. And so I think yeah. as from a marketer, being able to tell your story in so many different ways and different touches could probably be a challenge as well as a benefit, but the opportunities are there. So I yes. may have stolen a little bit of what this last question, you may have already answered it. If you were to go back in time, provide yourself advice that would just be starting out your career, what would it have been? Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought about thought about it, but the internal marketing and not just the internal marketing, this isn't my answer. Okay. Just want to make sure. <laughs> the internal the internal marketing would be is one I, I hadn't thought of. For business-wise, that's a big one. And you know, I think the other and, and I did eventually learn this probably about halfway through, but just the importance of bringing people along with the strategies that you're setting. You can get so down in the weeds and especially whenever you're marketer number one or you're marketer number... Th- I mean, when you're at a fast-growing business and you're in a team that's trying to support every you know, team within the business and you're excited and you're drinking the Kool-Aid and you're ready to go, you can forget to say, Hey, everyone, let me remind you these 15 things that we're doing. Let me remind you why. Yeah. The full value isn't going to come out of what you're spending your time doing if you're not bringing those people along, right? Like, literally, there's literally almost nothing that marketing does right now that if you don't have a partner in some other part of the company that is either helping with something beforehand or capitalizing afterwards on what you did, 
you will not get value out of what you're doing. So bringing people along in those internal communications, I think that's a great one. I think just on a personal note, I think the other thing I would add is like, I wish someone would have just told me to breathe more often. You know, it's, and I, you know, some of it I think is just in my DNA. Some of it was the company that I was in, but you know, someone just saying, you know, that meeting that you are going to be on vacation for, don't join it. Like it's going to be okay. And maybe someone that's under you can step up and take that meeting and they're going to learn something and it's going to open you up for time to think more strategically and open yourself up to thinking about what's next. Take time to rest. I mean, that's this is probably more like the... What would you say is like a mentor to someone? But I mean, just stop and breathe. I should have breathed more. You know, I, I think when you're that young and you're moving that quickly and you're working at these kinds of companies where you... I mean, basically, as much as you want to go after, they're going to allow you to do you start to think you're really important. You're not saying it out loud, but like, oh, if I'm not there, this thing's going to fall apart. You know, the reality is it's not. You you have to you have to do some self-preservation along the way. I mean, I can't complain. I love the career I've ended up with, but I probably could have gotten here the same and not just been such a maniac a lot of those early years. It's hard. I mean, I think as you're building your career, you feel like you have to work nonstop and you're the you've got to be a certain way. It's not necessarily the case. And I think we all have probably could benefit from that same piece of advice, even still today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a little bit of what I'm trying to do around just for a moment, stop for a minute, consul- do the work I've been doing, but just change my pace a little bit, change my perspective a little bit. And, you know, it's going to evolve. I, I won't, I'm sure I won't be doing this for too long. It's going to yeah. the next thing, you know, and that's exciting. They're going to suck you back in. Yeah, I'll get sucked back in. It may be my own thing. I like that. Keep me posted. Let me know when you do. We'll get you back on the show. Awesome. That's going to be your entrepreneurial podcast. I like that. Maybe we'll do that one. I appreciate you uh, sharing your story with us. This has been, obviously, I love the piece of advice, especially I, I need to remember to breathe a little bit more at times too. We'll sign up on my backyard that said breathe. Did you really? Yeah. That's awesome out there with the kids or is taking the dog outside. I was like, oh yeah, breathe. We're going to do that. Well, that's good advice for anybody listening. So, well, that's all of our show for today. So once again, thank you to our guest, Lisa Roberts, for sharing your story. For everyone watching or listening online, thank you for tuning in. And please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Thank you very much, Lisa, for being on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.